Hello, and welcome to Self-Sabotaging Sagas, hosted by me, your Elevation Guide, Jenea Barnes. Hello, everybody. Hi. Welcome to another episode of Self-Sabotaging Sagas. Today, I am here with Jamie Metzger, and we're going to talk about grief. Now, grief is something that I think all of us have experienced in some way, shape, or form in this last year, year and a half, between not being able to go to our favorite restaurants or bars, maybe we've lost loved ones, maybe we've lost our jobs, lots of shifts, lots of changes. So why don't you introduce yourself, Jamie, and tell us a little bit about what it is that you do and what you specialize in. Hi, yeah, thanks very much. Um, Yeah, grief is a weird thing to love talking about, but here we are. Uh, So I am a widow wellness coach, um, grief coach more broadly speaking, but uh, my focus has primarily been working with widows. Um, And I came to this from my own experience of being widowed on the younger side of life very suddenly, um, followed by a slew of very significant losses that um, forced me to rethink where I was in life and um, think about the hole that I saw as far as uh, support for people going through profound grief. So uh, I just kind of changed my my whole world and uh, got into grief coaching. So yeah, that's basically the, the nutshell version of what I do. So there are several different ways it can work depending on the client, but uh, generally speaking, trying to help people through those really hard days and figuring out what they want their lives to look like. And I feel like these days, many of us are in that space because things have changed so drastically over the last two years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, I mean, for me, it's interesting because I didn't have a lot of grief this year. I had a lot of expansion. And I think that's true for some people as they've lost their jobs and let go of things, they began to realize that there's more out there, that there's something bigger and greater that they were longing for, that they wanted to do. And I think sometimes when life throws you really big shit, let's just say it, when life throws you really big shit, It is a way to actually open up your perspective and open up your possibilities. And not that all big shit is preventable, but I think sometimes if we stay and we stay in this place of being really open and checking in with ourselves and not locking ourselves down into this little tiny structure of creating this perfect thing, whatever we think our perfect life is going to be, that we are much more able to flow when big, crazy stuff happens. And I think we definitely use a lot of coping mechanisms to try and control our experience and create a so-called perfect life. 
And it actually is something that blocks us off from bigger and better and more wonderful things. Yeah, that's a really, um, a really good point because I think one of the opportunities that loss does provide is getting very, very honest with ourselves. And that sort of honesty is what's going to guide us to help cope with um, the roller coaster that grief is, but it's also going to guide us towards what we want. Because I think what happens a lot when people are really stuck in the rut of grief is that they're trying to cling to a life that really doesn't exist anymore. And they just want to go back. They want to go back to, in my case, um, that married life or whatever the situation was, let's just say the grief after um, career loss, which a lot of people have experienced in the past year. And we just want to get back to normal. And we have to get honest and understand that that normal doesn't exist anymore. But here's the space for what you want your normal and your future to look like. So what is it? And that's the harder question to ask. But it's it's a really bizarrely um, liberating opportunity because you can then shuck off all that stuff that you thought you needed that you really don't. Well, and that really comes, we were just talking a little bit about being curious about what post-pandemic life is going to be. And that's just it. You know, I've heard people over the course of this last year say, I can't wait to get back to normal. I can't wait to get back to normal or hearing somebody feel like after a breakup, I can't wait to just be back to normal, feel like my normal self. But the thing is, is as we go through these big things, that normal is different. We're always moving forward, no matter how messy it looks. There, You can never go back in time. Even, this is funny, an astrologer that I know told me this period, this last period of couple years, I think we're still in it, is very reflective astrologically of what was going on during the fall of Rome. But it will never be exactly the same because the universe keeps expanding. So there'll never be the exact same configuration that there was before. And as we move forward through any kind of big stuff, big tragic stuff, we have to realize that that's going to shift us. It's going to change us. And really, like you said, that opportunity to look and dive into what it is that we really want, what we get to create for the next level of whatever that hopefully expansion and not contraction is going to be. It's interesting that you brought in the expansion of the universe because I, I see that sort of on the more micro level um, with people's understandings over the past year. Because when you just reflect on all the shit that happened, I mean, let's think about it. This was, it was an intense year. Yeah. And when you think about it, how can you not have an expanded understanding? of yourself, of your needs, of um, who you want to be aligned with. We saw a lot of ugly behavior from people. We also saw people rise up that we didn't expect it from. 
So this is a great understanding to have. Who are those people that we feel drawn to that can be our supports that we want to be allies with? Who are the people that we've realized, whoa, this is not really what I want to align myself with any longer? And there's no shame in change, right? That's what this is about. It was it was like the universe just shook us all up and was like, Mm-mm, something's got to give here. Yeah. So that's where that space comes in. Okay, you have an expanded understanding of yourself, of your friends, your family, your colleagues, the broader world around you. What are you going to do with that? Right. And it's interesting as we think about, and I think this is so important, like we're going to step up. And as we step up, there's been so much and so much to want to fight for and so much to want to move and shift. But we're all in these spaces of our own internal experience. And it's so important. And I think this in any kind of, if you're in any kind of grief spiral, it's so important to make sure that you are paying attention when to step back, when this is not it's too much when you can't take on everything. Like if you wanted to be out there, for instance, with Black Lives Matter and protest every single day, and that is what you felt in your heart. But if there was a point where you were physically unable to do that, there you must give yourself a little bit of grace and that you we need to step forward when we can, but also know that when we take the time to fill our cup, fill our well, that we are much more effective when we're out there. And there's other things that we can do. The way I fight for something may not be the way you fight for something, but I think first and foremost, we have to make sure, especially when we are in a grief spiral or in a trauma spiral, whatever it is, that we're taking care of ourselves first, and then we can actually fight a little harder. I love that you just used the word grace. Um, and here's why. <laughs> it's honestly, I feel the secret ingredient to um, getting through these tough times. And I don't mean that in a standard uh, formalized religious way. Uh, when I was going through all my really, really hard times, for whatever reason, I decided it was a good time to learn Spanish. You just make these decisions. And I, I knew some Spanish, but I was like, you know, I've lived in so many Spanish speaking neighborhoods. It's shameful. I don't speak it better. So, OK, I found a tutor and a, a lovely woman who was just like a, a, one of those angels that's dropped into your life. So I'm studying and I meet up with her every week. And one day I was so frustrated with myself because I couldn't remember anything. And um, of course I couldn't, I had widow brain. Like I'd just gone through all this. Of course, I'm not gonna remember verb conjugations. It's just not gonna happen. And she just very calmly, because she knew my background, she just said, give yourself some grace. She said, everything changed and so have you. And it just stopped me in my tracks because I thought that was the one thing I wasn't allowing myself. I came from this mindset of push through it, push through it, push through it. And I just kept pushing and I did not allow myself that grace to understand, hey, maybe you shouldn't be able to remember things right now. Maybe you should just give your mind the rest of not trying to keep pushing. And I, I think that 
that rest stage, right? It's hibernation. It's part of nature. It's part of the cycle. You go through this massive growth and then you sleep it off for a while. Um, yeah. You really, it's so important to just allow yourself that grace and that space to do so. Absolutely. And it's interesting. I also come from a mindset of you push through it. Like, I mean, I would go to work with 102 fever and as a bartender, it's my thing was like, well, all my customers come to my job when they're sick and they're the ones that get me sick in the first place. So I'm going to go to work sick. It doesn't matter. Can't lose that money. Push through it no matter what. Just keep going, keep going, keep going. When I finally got to this point where I started to unravel a lot of the stuff going on with me, I literally almost had to stop for a year. It was for my nervous system to settle down from that fight or flight, like push through it. I was kind of freaking out a little. I was like, why can I do nothing but go to work? I mean, I was working five jobs, but, <laughs> but I was used to working five jobs and doing all this other stuff on top of it. So... And it's one thing I like to say, any aspect of creation, anything that happens, it goes through this cycle. I use this acronym RICA, R-I-C-A, and it's rest and rejuvenate, imagine, create, and then action. And so a lot of us are taught to have this mindset, push through, push through, push through, no matter what. So we're in action, action, action. Maybe it's a little bit of planning in there, which is sort of the imagination stage um, or the creation stage, but we're not spending that time to rest and rejuvenate. And we run, action is also a really good way to run from what's actually going on and allowing yourself to move through. And I think that was one thing that was so crazy and blessing in disguise about this pandemic is that everybody, most everybody was forced to slow down and stop and they couldn't keep, they couldn't run out and go out and party every night. They couldn't see all their friends and keep everything coming and going like this. So they had to stop and force, be forced to have that rest and rejuvenation. You talk about nature. I'm like, oh, is the pandemic the way to force us all into winter for a whole year? I'm really hoping that this um, spills over into employment and expectations of employers because, uh, you know, I am a New Yorker by birth and I know that the only acceptable answer growing up in New York to how are you is busy. It's the only right. acceptable answer. That's everybody. That's what, Oh, good, good. Why is that good? <laughs> and <laughs> I think that um, this year has forced a lot of employers to understand, Whoa, wait a minute. No, don't come to work if you're sick because it might be COVID. So these right. expectations have shifted from no, no, you have to show up no matter what, which we've so internalized that, yeah, I mean, I was a teacher for years and kids would be sent to school super sick. Everybody gets sick. And it's because parents had nowhere else for them to go because they had to right. go to work. And I'm hoping this really has a domino effect of people understanding, wait a minute, taking care of yourself to get better is worth paying you to have that time off so that you don't get even more sick and get everybody else sick. 
Um, so I'm really hoping that it spills over to employment expectations for employees having the time to take care of themselves. And of yeah. course, emotionally as well, not just physically, because they are interwoven and we need that time. Well, yeah, exactly. It's just that same thing of filling up your well, you're going to perform better. If I go to work because I've been up all night sick, even if I feel better in the morning, but I haven't gotten any sleep, I am not going to perform nearly as well right. as if I take the day off and the next day I'll probably get twice as much done and it will skyrocket up from there. Right. Well, this, I mean, this actually ties into grief and how we handle it because it's the same thing of that suppression and it's, it's going to come out. You can just deny it all you want. You can push it away. Um, you cannot, what I call outsource your grief, but you cannot ask for help, which is what most of us do. We're just like, no, I'm okay. You can keep up appearances all you want, but it's going to come out. And yep. by I'm not going to say just dive into it and dwell there, but being honest with how you're feeling and just telling people, no, I'm not okay. Don't right. internalize what society's expectations of what the timeline looks like. It's different for everybody. So um, when people are like, oh, why are you still so sad? Yeah, because I am. <laughs> it's just right. what it is. Um, and that, that, profound honesty. It's one of the hardest things for us to really do because we've all been so uh, raised to believe that we have to keep up appearances and that things are fine no matter what. Um, it's really hard to express that vulnerability, um, but that's how you have to deal with it and move through. Well, it makes me think about, you know, one of the things I really work with people is get letting them tap into their emotions because let's face it most of us were not taught how to feel our emotions we are told to say that we're fine when we're not fine we're told to power through or if we're the opposite we just sit and wallow in our emotions and become our emotions. You know, we say, you know, you hear this all the time. You hear people say, I am depressed. Mm -hmm. Well, you're not depressed. You feel depressed. Mm -hmm. It's so it's that balance between between the two, not letting the emotion become you and actually giving the emotion the space to move through your body. And that's one of the big things. I read your book. So for those of you that don't know, Jamie has a book out that she wrote about her experience. And one of the things that really struck me was the point when you really started to realize that the emotions needed to move through your body. So many of us were all up in our head and all up in this space, which is not really in our body. And we carry trauma, which things like losing a loved one can really be, especially if it's sudden and it's your husband or your life partner. It's very traumatic. And we spend and we are taught, especially if we're the go, go, go people, we spend a lot of time up here. We don't spend much time grounded in our body and our emotions need to actually move through the body. Yeah. Yeah. One of the exercises I actually do with clients um, 
and as I said, I mostly work with widows, is I talk through with them the different emotions associated with grief, um, anger, uh, confusion, disorientation, that emotional exhaustion, and of course, sadness. And the one nobody likes to talk about, relief. Because uh, mm -hmm. sometimes it's a very complicated relationship and people don't want to say they're relieved, but deep down there might be, and that ties to the other emotion of guilt. Right. So we kind of talk through um, the emotions because not everybody feels the same ones. And I, I personally w did not experience anger in a way that a lot of people do. Um, so to really get honest about what are you feeling and then where are you feeling that? Just close your eyes and feel where it is on your body because we do internalize these things. And when we're not at the very least trying to meet them and understand them, that's when we get sick. That's when it really has the physical implications because the emotions are going to get trapped and we're not allowing them to come out because I think especially as women, and I don't want to say exclusively to women, but especially as women, um, many of us were raised to be people pleasers. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to burden other people by telling them how badly we really feel. Right. So we're just, you know, I'm, I'm upset, but I'll, I'll be okay. I'll, I'll be okay. And we try to kind of push it off that way. But um, yeah, that internalization is it's a doozy. And that's when people do end up getting very sick. And I've actually had, um, it's something called visual migraines. I thought I was losing my mind. I started having these um, like flashes of light. And of course, immediately freaked out because I am a New Yorker. Um, but <laughs> apparently they're, they're quite common and they can be brought on by stress. And after everything, it would be bizarre if I didn't experience something like that. So, you know, there are a lot of these, uh, yeah, physical manifestations of extreme emotions that will come up when we're not dealing with them. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about the people pleasing thing. And yes, it is definitely probably a more female trait, but I know plenty of men that do it as well. But the other piece that usually comes with people pleasing is this place of being maybe potentially a little overly empathetic where we're tapping into what everybody else is feeling. And so if you are in that space, you are not only just, you know, making it okay. Yeah, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. But there is a, a semblance of protection, trying to protect yourself from feeling how they're going to feel uncomfortable when you really tell them how they feel because ultimately when i talk about how we're not taught to deal with our emotions is we're trying to avoid actually feeling the feelings mm -hmm. and so whether it's somebody else's emotions that we're being empathetic to we don't want them to feel them because we know how bad it would feel if they felt the way i felt or whatever, that kind of story that might go through our head so subconscious and so fast, but it affects our behavior and it affects what we do. But it's definitely so important to step in and really acknowledge, even if you don't acknowledge it to other people, acknowledge to yourself what's going on. 
It, it's incredibly difficult. And I, I think that's why the, the closing your eyes and just trying to pinpoint where in your body you feel these emotions can be helpful. Um, and yeah, it's not something you have to talk to anybody else about. It's just a way of grounding and understanding what's going on with yourself. Um, as you said, these things go through our minds so quickly and there's so much a part of who we are, basically our DNA of how we were raised and, and taught to think and feel that we don't acknowledge it, as you said, as something, we take it as ourselves, that's just the way I am. And we don't kind of separate out, wait a minute, um, you know, these are my, my emotions. If I pinpoint this and I understand it, then I can kind of help myself understand why it's happening, why I'm stuck here, and why I can begin to shift my mindset a bit, a bit to help me deal with it. And I mean, I'm not saying that dealing with profound grief is just a, it's done if you change your mindset by any stretch, by any stretch. It's right. a long, hard slog. It really is. But by denying it makes it even longer and more difficult. It's a much more treacherous road because that's when it's going to come up when you least expect it and kneecap you. And you're just going to be, you know. Exactly. I mean, and I think that's the biggest thing. One of the best things that I ever did, I was 27 and I was heartbroken. Like, I mean, the kind of heartbreak. Well, it's the first really big one where you really think you're going to spend the rest of your life with somebody. And then all of a sudden they don't want you or they're gone or whatever it is. And you don't know that you'll actually get through it. And I think that's one of the big things about being a widow, I'm going to guess, because I can't speak to that personally, is that you don't know if the pain will ever end. And I remember feeling that way with that first heartbreak. I lost 30 pounds in a month. Mm -hmm. And it was, and I've, loved people more since this person, but I really just didn't know that it would ever end. And so I imagine that being just the feeling with losing anybody potentially, like for some people, it might be losing a parent that you're ever going to get through it because that person has been there with you your whole life, your life partner, again, not knowing that it's ever going to end, but you will always move through it, but denying your feelings and not acknowledging them, not allowing yourself to feel them is definitely, as you say, it's, I like to use the saying, you're just saving it for later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And not in a good way. Like you don't right. want interest on in this guys. You really don't. <laughs> you don't want interest building here. <laughs> no, I I always use the thing. I say your emotions are like a guest. You invite, they come in and after a time they go. Now, what happens if you put that guest and you lock them in the closet? And <laughs> three months later, I mean, provided somehow they have access to food and water, <laughs> You open up that closet, they are going to be raging. It mm -hmm. is going to be so much worse, except you're going to not even remember 
that that guest is in the closet. So you are going to be blindsided. And not only are they going to be bigger, heavier, harder, but you're going to not even know where they came from. Yeah. 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 I think that's actually part of why I wrote the book. And it honestly, part of it was just needing to get it all out. Yeah. But to understand that it's not something you get over. And I, um, you know, I'm, I'm over two years later now. It's not something that you're just magically one day in the future, you're like, oh, never happened. I'm, I'm perfectly happy again. But another visualization that I like to do with clients, um, because these are things very often we don't think we have the vocabulary for. So instead, I try to do visualizations to help them understand that there are things beyond our words. Um, and in the early days, those days that you were just talking about, where you just think, there's no way I'm going to survive this. Grief seems, it can seem like this big, overwhelming black cloud that's just enveloping everything, everything. And you can't breathe, you can't eat, you can't sleep. There's no relief from it. But for me, my experience has been that it sort of moves inward more. It doesn't become as big and scary. And it almost just kind of resides within side by side. And it's still there. It's always going to be part of who I am. But it no longer dominates your life. And in the case of a nasty breakup, you might think, oh, well, no, I did move on. But it did change you because it helped inform future decisions and it helped you understand yourself a whole lot better. So that's where the grief, yeah, you don't ever just completely get over these things, but it it changes you and it changes the way you see the world and it changes the way you see yourself. Right. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, I would go through all of the pain of that breakup again, like in a heartbeat because of what I learned and how I grew I would, I wish I could keep, you know, 10 of those 30 pounds off still, but that's okay. <laughs> I would much rather have those 10 pounds than be in the state that I was, but it really, for me, I chose for the first time in my life, I really looked at my parental model and my parental mm -hmm. model did not ever feel her feelings. She did not ever show her feelings. And I looked at myself and I said, you know what? I don't want to end up like that. So for the first time in my life, I chose to feel my feelings. And it was my very first step towards conscious healing, towards actually taking a conscious role in, what's the word I'm looking for? Balancing or maintaining some sort of mental health, I guess. So taking some steps towards realizing, oh, realizing I had some control over mm -hmm. my emotional state, over my emotional life. Yeah, I was actually kind of weirdly fortunate um, in that my mother was widowed suddenly um, and my husband was a widower. So I had throughout our marriage, he was very open and honest about his experience with it. And um, he was also kind of 
temperamentally the opposite of me. I, I tend to be like really kind of all over the place. And he's just, he was very, very even keeled. So that helped me a lot because I began to think about everything he had told me. So on those dark days, it was kind of like my guiding point to help get through. And it almost forced me to step back from my natural knee-jerk reaction, which is run, 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 get as far from the pain as possible, to, okay, no, slow down instead. And, you know, think about what he told you and about the dark days and how to get through them because they're going to be there no matter what. Right. That's so interesting that in a way he was setting you up to, yeah. And what a, what a beautiful gift that if you had to go through that, that you actually had that gift to have him help you through this, that time. What would you say would be your biggest place of self-sabotage as you were going through your initial and middle stages of grief? And I say, you know, no, middle because it's never ending in some ways, but. Yeah, not asking for help. Absolutely, 100%. It was the, I can do this. Um, not even that I can do this. I just assumed I have to do this. Uh, when he died, we had bought a house up in uh, Northern California, but we're living in Oakland. So, you know, there were two of us going back and forth between the house to maintain it when we weren't there. Now it was down to me. Um, we had a dog I was taking care of. I, for whatever reason, decided I had to go to work, back to work pretty quickly, which I actually do understand why I did that. I just needed to get out of the house. But Instead of just saying, I can't do all of this, I thought, no, I have to. So now I forced myself to maintain two households and, you know, to maintain all of our daily tasks, to get the dog on a schedule, to still go to work. And this is on top of sorting out all the paperwork. This is on top of just dealing with the shock of grief. Right. Um, just not asking for help. And part of it is that. Grief is so exhausting that you almost can't add, add another task. Like add, asking for help meant I had yet another thing to do. So that was a big one of just really asking for help, just saying, I, I can't do this by myself. I can't do all of this. Um, yeah, that was definitely it. So beyond the another task, another, like asking for help would be another thing on the list to actually do. What do you think were your biggest like stops that stopped you from asking for help? It was it something that you've had trouble with in your life. Has it been a pattern? Oh yeah. The ingrained belief that you just have to buck up and deal with it. Like yeah. absolutely. It's, you have to be strong. You have to get through this. I was always raised that I was so strong and I could handle this. And I remember thinking at points over the years, did I ever ask to be the strong one? Like, <laughs> so, and I, I'm not denying that. And we do need to draw from that internal strength, particularly right. when we're going through hard times, but making that strength, the core of your identity at the expense 
of your mental health is 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 bad. <laughs> it's just not not a good route to go because there's only so much we can all take. And we we were talking about this earlier. Of um, for me, it came really came to a head in 2020 when after having gone through all of that and dealing with the pandemic and then all of the tumult in society of beginning to absorb because i was managing a team of of 50 people at the time to have to listen to all of their fears and anxieties and i still had it in my head of you have to deal with it you just have to deal with it and i just that was it i couldn't do it anymore i i just pushed myself too hard to just keep absorbing, 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 and not um, giving myself the same, the same allowance I was giving everybody else. So it's like, no, it's okay, I can take care of it. You know, I was taking a task off them, but at the expense of my own ability to handle everything. Yeah, it's this subject has actually come up a lot, the pendulum swing between being so strong and holding everything together and then on the other side being too needy and having being a victim and right. i think you know we've got a lot of people that are like well you just need to get it together and you can't have your feelings and blah 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 like just pull it together <laughs> that used to be my bar motto pull it together <laughs> um but the other side of it too is that not talking about major, major grief, of course, you're going to be deep in it for a while, but to not be so in the identity of I am depressed, I have anxiety, I have like, I'm an anxious person, all of those things, those are things that you might feel, but they're not who you are. And really, I think that's such an important thing. And it's so hard for a lot of us to ask for help. For those of us that grew up on that side of I have to be strong and I have to hold it together. And I, I think probably a lot of us that grew up that way also feel a little resentment or have felt a little resentment for the people that are on the victim side playing the victim. And they're like, I really need you right now. What's, and then you're like, what's going on? And they're like, well, I dropped my toothbrush in the toilet. And you're just like, oh. And it's like this this thing where it's like, I don't want to be that person. So it's this, this part of, I have to be strong, but yet I don't want to be that person that like calls on you because they stubbed their toe. Um, well, just an example of like, I think, and this was absolutely highlights how far to one side I was with the pendulum, right? So when my husband died, I was in Miami for work. Awful place to be, have to, you know, get home, okay. I called our landlord because we were good friends with him and I wanted him to know, obviously. And he's back in Oakland. And he said to me, well, let me pick you up at the airport tomorrow. And my first thought, my first thought was, oh God, I can't inconvenience him like that. Right. First thought. And that's when I was like, if now is not a time to inconvenience somebody, when is? And I, I think that's the thinking that needs to change of the, Oh, well, I can't do that. Like so many people, um, you're not playing the victim if you're crying. If you're not allowed to cry after profound grief, when are you? 
Right. You know, people apologize for their emotions. Like, I'm so sorry. I'm sad. I'm so sorry. I'm crying. It's like, no, you should be right now. So, and yeah, it is hard then when you have people who do this massive reaction to the smaller things, but that's also where we find the balance. And when we're going through a lot, learning to put up the boundaries of, I care about you. I'm sorry you're upset about that. I have a lot going on right now. I can't take that on as well. Putting up those boundaries, it, it sounds like this is contradictory to what I was just saying, but putting up healthy boundaries can also really help you as you're working with grief because that's when you're not internalizing and absorbing all of those other problems right. and you're giving yourself a bit of a, a, a shell to protect yourself because it's it's raw and you you do need that protection yeah absolutely and it's interesting too it's that ability to receive those of us that grew up with that mindset of I have to be strong, I have to do everything by myself, there's often a lack of self-worth in there mm -hmm. that we don't under underneath it all that we don't actually feel like we deserve to have somebody take care of us, to have somebody fly across the country and just sit in our bed with us and hold our hand and do nothing else. Like, oh my God, we're in that space of what is this taking from them? What is this taking from them? And realizing that if they're there, they're there because they want to be there. And if people are offering, sure, of course, there are some people that offer because they feel obligated and all of that, but that's not your crap to take on. If somebody exactly. is offering, accept it allow yourself to receive this is under any circumstances not even if you're perfectly happy and everything is great if somebody wants to do something nice for you allow them to do it not everything comes with strings not everything is put in a bank to collect later allow it. And if somebody's putting in the bank to collect later and they get mad at you because you're not reciprocating at some point, then that's their crap. It's not your crap. Exactly. That's about them. That's not about you. It's exactly. not about you. Your point is so important. If you consider somebody a loved one, let them love you. Yes. <laughs> let them provide love because especially in times like that, that's when you need it. What, it, you know, why else do you have these relationships? Yeah. Um, and it, it is an interesting, um, you know, this is a topic that comes up a lot with grief of, uh, I think it's the author's name is Megan Devine, but um, that grief changes your address book. And it, it really does because some people that you thought you were closer to disappear. And part of it is, is that it just, they're so uncomfortable. They don't know right. what to do or to say, and it stifles them. Understandable. But then some people, like I said, those angels that just appear out of nowhere, appreciate it. Understand that some people do come at you with strings attached and you can suss those out pretty quickly but other people just genuinely want to help and why not let yeah. them, you know, they're not, they don't want anything else other than to say, Oh my God, I understand what you're going through or I don't understand what you're going through, but I, I still just yeah. want to be with you. I want to help you. Yeah. 
It's interesting. One of the things that I find when we go through big life changes, it's always a little bit like we're gardening. We're going to weed out some people. And we do it in both ways. We do it when we're dropped down really low because a lot of people are going to drop off. They can't handle it. They can't. And that's okay. And in the end, you're probably better off if you lose a couple of those people. The other time it happens actually is when you're doing really well and you're succeeding. So I imagine this might happen if you just went through a big thing and then some really good stuff starts happening for you. And probably some people can't actually celebrate with you. They're like only can be there for you when you're down in the dumps. So I always say that my friends that can really hold true for me when and hold space for me when I'm deep down in my shit and when I'm really high on life, those are the ones you really want to hang on to, like absolutely hang on to. Because some people, they can't handle it if you're doing better yeah. than them. And some people just can't handle it when you're not doing well, mm -hmm. especially if you were the strong one. Actually, just wrote about this. I just wrote about this on my blog on my site uh -huh. recently. I call those people doom swoopers because they just swoop in when something bad happens. And then when you start to feel better, they evaporate. And it's like, wait a minute. Right. I, okay. Didn't I just have a friend here? And there it is. Some people in part of that is people who are addicted to drama, right? Like they, they want to be there for the drama and then they disappear yeah. when you're no longer in that bad space. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, you need the balance of both. Absolutely. And those are the people that are your near and dear. Like, I love Keep them that close phrase. I don't know how much you love them. And I mean, a lot of it too is it makes a lot of people feel really good about themselves when they're around people that are doing worse than them. So it is, you know, there are also people that have self worth issues often, not always. Everyone's got their own unique map in their mind. But if they're there because you're doing worse than them, that fills up their false self-esteem and makes them feel better about themselves. And then once you're doing really well, they're not getting their fix, their little dopamine fix over here. So then they're gone. Right, right. And they think in the moment, they think they're being helpful and that makes them feel better. But it's more about the appearance of being helpful other than really. <laughs> I'm glad that people like this term. Doing I know. <laughs> I'm seeing it come on. Yeah, it's, ooh, yeah, they, they're, they're real. Yes, You've got to keep an eye true. out for them. Um, yeah, it's so funny. So what would you say, what was your most profound learning from your I know that's like a really big question, but what's at least one big profound learning from your experience with grief? Um, that's, that is a big one. I think uh, to stop trying to fit myself into a space that I thought I should be doing. Um, and it sounds, I know it sounds crazy, but hey, grief makes you a little crazy. Um, to really just 
open your my eyes and my my heart to the universe around me because there were just so many things that came up that pointed me into the direction where I am today. If you had told me three years ago that I would be a grief coach, I would have just <laughs> been like, girl, what? No. And no, no. But it just never would have occurred to me. But I love it. And I, I just, it just feels like a calling beyond beyond anything I could have dreamed of. So, and it never would have come to me if I had successfully kept pushing myself back into the space where I thought I should have been. And by that, I mean like, you know, keeping the same job, do, doing the same routine, just um, keeping the house, forcing myself, doing all the things I thought I had to do after Bill died. Um, but the other in tandem with that is that allowing people in and letting them help me because I had such an amazing support network through those initial awful months, but then also afterwards where I would say, Hey, I think I kind of want to get into grief coaching. So many people just be like, yeah, do it like that. That would be amazing. And just, yeah, allowing, allowing that support because I don't think I really allowed it before. I think I just kind of shrugged it off like, yeah, okay, no, I'm, you know, I wouldn't accept the compliments. I wouldn't accept the support. So I think those two things really just to stop pushing so hard and to allow that support and guidance to really bring it's, me to a totally different place. The thing that strikes life. me the most about that is, and this I think happens with any big shakeup in your life, is that all of a sudden what you thought what was your little carefully constructed world is no longer there anymore. And so when we're little before the age of nine, when a circuit in the brain comes online called the default mode network, we take everything in, we see everything, we absorb everything. And then when that circuit starts coming on, we start drawing conclusions based on things before. And over time, you know, we're our mind and our vision, unless we're doing a lot of stuff to look, keep learning and really keep expanding, our mind gets narrower and narrower. And when we have these big shakeups, it's almost like the box is taken away and we're all of a sudden we have to see everything. But what that does is it allows us oftentimes to see this thing that's been right over here the whole time. But because we've been in this little box, with these little blinders on, we haven't seen this thing that might be our calling or might be the perfect person for us or whatever it might be. And so I think that's one of the really positive takeaways. And I think you kind of said that was that you get to be a little more open and you got to break open to more possibilities and be able to be more accepting and allowing those things in. Absolutely. And, you know, in my case, so the way I tend to frame it is that um, profound loss yeah. rocks your identity down to its core. You know, everything, as you said, you thought you had the way you thought your life was going to be has completely changed. It, it can be gone. Um, but that is where there's the space for opportunity of, well, if that all is no longer true, 
what is true then? And it can be anything. And you really have like, it, it kind of blows your world wide open, which can be terrifying when, <laughs> you know, humans are faced with infinite choices. We don't make a choice because it's too overwhelming. <laughs> but, um, you know, it really does. You learn so much about yourself and you do learn what you're capable of and you learn like, wow, I, I can handle this and I can make it through. And in a weird way, it's bizarrely empowering because, you know, now again, after more than two years, I'm kind of like, wow, if I could right. do all that, what else can I do? And it's, it's super empowering because it's like, well, shit, man, <laughs> I, I can, I can probably take on some things. I can do the things. So I think, but you have to allow yourself to think that way. And I, I think your point about not playing the victim is a big part of that. Because if instead I took this victimized mindset of look at everything that happened to me, I wouldn't be in the space that I'm in. What happened to me could happen to anybody. And I, you can't look at it as like the universe did this to me. It could happen to anybody. It's, it's yeah. life. If you love it all, you're going to experience loss. So understanding that that's part of it and thinking, okay, well, that's been hell, but hell is not my life. What, what else is there is, is super empowering. Yeah. I love that, you know, you stripped down that being strong and then you realized how strong you actually are, which is always my favorite thing about control and strength and all of that stuff. And when we let go of that need to control, that need to be strong, we actually are stronger and have more control, which is the funniest thing. Um, speaking of people taking control of their lives, if they wanted to get in touch with you or work with you, what kind of things do you have to offer and how do they get in touch with you? Uh, my website is widowwellnesscoaching.com and that's uh, probably the best way to just get a feel for me, get a feel for my services. Um, I offer a set program of three months worth of coaching sessions, or we can do one-offs. I like to offer people a one-off to just get a feel for me, um, you know, see if I'm a good fit because I honestly don't want to work with you if you're not convinced I'm a good fit because I, I want to help people really bring out the best. Um, but the good news is because we're in the coaching world, um, and specifically widow coaches, if I'm not the best fit, I probably have an idea of somebody who would be, so I can point you in a different direction. Um, I do encourage people after they get a feel for me to work beyond just a few sessions, because as you know, this work is hard and you really have to dig in and people that can get uncomfortable, but that uncomfortableness is actually a good thing because it means that the shift is starting to occur. Yep. So it, it does take a little while to get there. Um, I also work with Wonderful, which is a group of women travelers. So if you're a Wonderful member, I host a monthly grief support circle um, that's free for Wonderful members. And um, yeah, that's, I think that's, that's about it right now. Awesome. Awesome. And just in general, I think my blog has a lot of, I put a lot of writings up there that people seem to find helpful. So even if 
that is the extent of your interaction with me. Just reading through, I hope that's helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yes, go to her website, sign up for her newsletter, go to my website, JeneaBarnes-Elevate.com. And for those that are you listening and not watching, that's G-E-N-E-A-B-A-R-N-E-S-Elevate.com. I do work with people one-on-one to transform their sources of self-sabotage and build the new habits on top of it. We call it elevation. Thus, you know, the elevation guide thing. And so if you're interested in that, you can also drop me a DM and Instagram, Facebook, all of the social media things. (laughs) And I will respond. And we can set up just, I do initial conversations to make sure that I can fit, that I can help you. And then I do longer complimentary sessions to see if we're a good fit, a good match to step into larger work together. Thank you so much, Jamie. This has been awesome. I feel like I could talk to you for another hour, but we won't do that to the world. (laughs) Thank you so much. This is great. And yeah, reach out to Jamie, reach out to me and follow us on the social medias. Her Instagram is with widow wellness coaching. Coaching. Yeah. Please feel free to just drop me a line with any questions. I'm like I said, grief is a weird thing to love talking about, but I love talking about it. So, right. (laughs) And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Jenea Barnes, all of the things. And Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Self-Sabotaging Sagas, and we will see you guys next week. And I'll talk to you all later. Bye.